0: Hurricanes, hailstorms, tornadoes, and wildfires. These are just some of the weather hazards that displace families and disrupt lives. Many of us are familiar with the scenes of devastation these hazards cause and the recovery process for affected communities can take months, even years. In the most extreme circumstances, some may never be whole again. This may prompt many of you to ask, What's being done to reduce the risks associated with these hazards? To answer this question, the Insurance Institute for Business and Home Safety presents the Disaster Discussions Podcast. Join me, your host, Armand Brody, as I sit down with professionals in the insurance, science, construction, and resiliency industries who will help us explore the intersection of these hazards with the built environment. We'll bring you in-depth conversations with experts from across the country and highlight how science is engineering real-world solutions for home and business owners to create safer, more resilient communities. Join us for these discussions every month. And to make sure you don't miss an episode, go subscribe to the Disaster Discussions podcast on your favorite podcast app. We also invite you to engage with us on social media, to ask your questions, share your thoughts, and to learn more about the IBHS mission. From the Insurance Institute for Business and Home Safety, welcome to the Disaster Discussions podcast, where we explore the intersection of weather and the built environment. I'm your host, Armand Brody, and we continue our special series as we release the podcast under some extraordinary circumstances to you this time. It's part three of our four-part series from the Severe Local Storms Conference in Santa Fe, New Mexico. So here's the question. How much damage can severe winds inflict? The EF scale, the Enhanced Vegeta Scale, used for rating tornadoes is one of the most familiar methods we use to answer this question. The only problem is it's incomplete. So join IBHS's Sarah Dillingham and Jim Ledoux, who is the acting director of the National Windstorm Impact Reduction Program at NIST, to discuss the committee he chairs under the American Society of Civil Engineers that is working to improve and standardize the EF scale. They outline how various subcommittees are working towards the goal and what the future holds for its applications. So here it is, the interview with Jim Ledoux and IBHS's Sarah Dillingham, part three of our series from the Severe Local Storms Conference.
1: Yeah, thank you so much, Armand, for that introduction. So yeah, we're here uh, in Santa Fe, New Mexico at the 30th Annual Severe Local Storms Conference. Uh, It's part of the American Meteorological Society Conference Series. And I'm joined here today by Jim Ledoux. Um, Jim, thank you so much for joining us today and taking uh, your time out of the conference to be here with Uh, us.
2: Yeah, it's a pleasure. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. So now you're currently um, the Acting Director of the National Wind Windstorm Impact Reduction Program um, at NIST. Um, And so I just kind of want to set up our viewers for what we're going to be discussing today because it's going to be kind of a two-part episode you're part one of part two um, so we're actually that's going to be great. talking to one of your colleagues dr. Tanya Brown Diamenka who's also uh, at NIST uh, and today we're going to be talking about um, some of the changes that we've been making in the EF scale and way we measure wind speeds we're, you know we look at wind mm-hmm. speeds we know how destructive that can be yes. um, and so the way that we measure them uh, and the way that we determine the damage that they can cause is very important right and so that's kind Absolutely. of what we're going to be discussing today yeah, yeah.
2: yep. Multiple importances. I mm-hmm. mean, there's all sorts of uses for the data that we produce. It uh, mm-hmm. has to be as good as possible.
1: Right, right. Yeah. yeah. So so that's kind of what our uh, discussions are going to be uh, based around today. So uh, we'll have a little bit of overlap. We've definitely got some niche stuff that we want each of you to discuss. So we'll get right into it before I give anything else away. So um, so before we kind of get started and get into the details, mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about your career path and how you came to NIST, because I believe that you're relatively new in your position as well.
2: I'm so new that I'm still trying to figure out how to pronounce NIST. So I mean, <laughs> (laughs) this is something that's, that's, that's difficult. (laughs) It's a learning experience. It's a different culture. It's quite a bit different than from the uh, weather service from which I came. Mm -hmm. And I still have a, a, I still have one finger in the weather service. So Mm -hmm. I'm like 75% in NIST and then, uh, and 25% in the warning decision training division. And Mm -hmm. uh, that's a division where we teach all the forecasters in the weather service how to issue warnings mm-hmm. of all types. Very and important. <laughs> yes, that, that's very important. Uh, everybody comes through our doors mm-hmm. before they sit in that hot seat. Right. And uh, so I've been there for, oh my gosh, I guess, for a long time. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I
1: know, it's hard to I mean, add up sometimes. <laughs> I think so, it's
2: almost 30 years. Yeah, I, I can't believe it uh, passed, but I've been there and I've uh, actually worked in NESDIS, that's the mm-hmm. National Environmental Satellite Data and Information right. Service as a researcher uh, before that. Mm-hmm. Uh, back way back in the 90s. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I've, I've been there. Um, I, I love my job at, at the training division. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't think of anything better working with forecasters, uh, teaching about severe storms, mm-hmm. um, and also allowed to do different projects. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, and specifically, there's one big project that's still ongoing with the mm-hmm. uh, standards development.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's certainly what we're going to get into today. So, yeah. Um, and, and you're right. I mean, it, it you do the work that you love and the time kind of flies by and and it's so important, right? Because the national weather service, they play an integral part in and they use these these measurements for winds that we're going to be talking about today Absolutely. with the EF scale which a lot of people are very familiar with so yeah. it's very important that we get that that right training so that we're doing that on the most consistent basis that that we can because mm-hmm. that ultimately affects how we look at past events and how we gauge what's happening in the future especially with uh, in regards to climate change and seeing how things have changed we want to make sure that everything's kind
2: of on Absolutely one, yes one standard. and and you know any good warning system um, you know, we have to verify the warnings right. and we have to verify them with the best possible information. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that I gained an interest in uh, during the course of my time here at, mm-hmm. at WDTD, which, you know, is the warning decision training division. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, a lot of that is also carried over to, to NIST as well, but some of the Horizons kind of expanded in different directions mm-hmm. as well. All
1: right. That's great. So, well, um, so as we mentioned before, you know, we know how uh, deadly and destructive winds can be. You know, you've seen that firsthand in performing damage surveys. You actually had mentioned mm-hmm. you were just down at um, Hurricane Ian surveying some of the damage there. So, um, I know we at IDHS were very familiar with the, the kind of damage that can, uh, that can occur from wind, uh, whether that be straight line wind or rotating wind. So, um, having a, a good standard, like you mentioned, and mm-hmm. which ways that we can measure that is, is so important. Um, and so that kind of leads me to my next question. Um, so you are the chair and co-founder of a new standards committee that's uh, working with the American Society for Civil Engineers. So that's another acronym. We meteorologists (laughs) and scientists, we love our acronyms. So, um, that's ASCE. So really quickly, can you discuss, like, who is ASCE? Who are these? Who is the society and what is their role?
2: Yeah. So the ASCE, and I'll tell you one thing I'm still learning about that to myself. (laughs) I mean, even after all these years, but, um, you know, they're, they're a, Organization of engineers, mm-hmm. um, their role is to develop, uh, many things. One is to promote the profession of civil engineers mm-hmm. amongst other engineers, but also, um, to develop standards. So mm-hmm. such right. as a building load standard that they have. Um, this whole standard is the cornerstone, basically. It's like the foundation of all uh, building codes throughout the U.S. Right. So that's the, that's really important. Mm-hmm. And, Building loads have to depend upon, you know, the hazards that come their way. Right. So these buildings have to withstand wind, flooding, large hail, snow, uh, all sorts of all sorts of hazards. Mm-hmm. And so this is what is the underpinning of, of everything. So if there's a local building code in Florida, mm-hmm. you know, and which, by the way, was a tremendous success, I think, in Florida. And so they should, the people there, the residents should thank the ASCE for coming up with a load standard that withstands wind.
1: Yes, building codes are one of those things that you just kind of think it's just kind of assumed. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, i as you mentioned, you're new in your role. I'm relatively new in my role here at IBHS. And and so mm-hmm. learning about um, how building codes and standards are applied, um, and they're, they're not applied unilaterally you know, the same. No, um, each state is different. Um, and so I think um, kind of taking that for granted when we go home and go into our homes at night, we assume, oh, my home is good. It's been built to code. And that's yes. the best code. It's obviously the most updated. Uh, and that might not always be the case, so that's why we have to have these yeah. standards, so that we we are trying to um, build everything up to the same level, right? So we're all in the same playing Absolutely. field. Absolutely.
2: And if only, but you know, if everybody could do these uh, building loads, <laughs> yes. I mean, the amount of savings and economic loss and grief right. imposed upon residents and, and businesses would mm-hmm. be amazing. Um,
1: right.
2: You know, so we can only say so much, and we hope that other places, especially in the interior U.S., that you know that may not have the building codes that let's say Florida has, but may be exposed to severe weather equally as bad.
1: Right, exactly. Right. Um, and so speaking of that and going back to the committee, um, so kind of when was this created? It's been in the last several years that, that this yes. committee was created. And so um, yeah. when was that and what was the purpose for it? What was the motivation behind it?
2: So. The, the- that, boy, that's a long story, but I'll, no. I'll try to keep it short. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, so what we did, um, this all started when the EF scale was was uh, implemented back in two thousand and seven, mm-hmm. and so there was a uh, maybe a more informal committee, but it was made up of the experts in engineering and also in meteorology that deal with with evaluating uh, tornadoes and other severe wind storms, and so they made the EF scale, and then I developed the course. In my time at WDTD, and then uh, disseminated that through the National Weather Service. And so, in the years uh, that followed, of course, I, I went out. I was the token person to go out in these quick response teams to evaluate tornado damage and to see how the ES scale was being implemented and are things working okay. And you know, for the most part, I mean, they were. It was mm-hmm. amazing to have all this guidance that we didn't have before, and uh, and we could just. Implement it and it was easy and we could come up with uh, With wind speed estimations, you know, the you know, damage intensity estimations. We could map the tornado paths right. So yeah, it was fantastic. Um, and of course now there's the but um, <laughs> right. the but is You know as I've been doing this I started seeing oh my gosh I wish this tree damage indicator was better, right, mm-hmm. right? or you know why is why is the apartment building have why do they have different winds for the same damage we're seeing even though it's built similarly to houses, mm-hmm. and so little things you know started piling up, and uh, and then I got to thinking well, so, well who owns the EF scale who do I go to yeah uh, talk about this and I find out you know, over time well, there's nobody there's, there's yeah. nobody, <laughs> and, and so uh, you know I started to develop a grassroots organization like a stakeholders group, mm-hmm. and so I invited some of the original ESGL committee members, and then other uh, people that were experts in that. And I knew enough of the field that I knew who, some of the people that are published in the the field, and I knew them, and so I invited them. And some I didn't know, so, um, you know, I just basically just got on the phone and started. Right. Yeah, so anyway, I did that and I got a lot of interest, a lot more than I thought that, that would be possible. Mm -hmm. And so we had a uh, a meeting that we organized. We had it at the National Weather Center in Norman. And from that meeting, uh, eventually we published a paper in the Bulletin of the American Meteorological Society on the status of the ES scale, and then some of the issues, and then some of the other methods, Mm -hmm. because uh, we did have radar. We had um, some science was just coming out on, on identifying tree fall patterns and matching those to the behavior of tornadoes. And, uh, and also, you know, just a simple, and, animo- uh, yeah, an anemometer, just right. <laughs> if I can get that out. Yeah. But an anemometer is really important. I know that, that it, it seems like, uh, once in a blue moon, one gets hit by a tornado, but there's more right. and more anemometers going out. we are seeing more yeah. mesonets and backyard anemometers. And so it was important to, to consider all of these things. And, uh, so once we got that paper, and that was down, let's see, that was out in about 2013 or something like that. Okay,
1: so yeah, several years ago, right? Right, right.
2: Mm-hmm. So uh, once that happened, it was kind of funny. We all decided as a stakeholders <laughs> group that we really need to get this established in a more official way. You know, grassroots effort is fine, but mm-hmm. we needed something with some institutional backing.
1: Right, you need make sure you're all on the same right. page. Yeah.
2: yeah, so that's when I thought of NIST. And this is being the National Institute for Standards and Technology. Seems fitting. <laughs> I don't know. I, I thought it would, I thought that would be a good one to go. Well, they're standards group. Mm-hmm. Maybe they would be the secretariat of, of our standard. Yeah. You know, that's what they do. And that's when I looked up on their websites and saw, you know, the National Windstorm, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, I saw Mark Levitan, Dr. Mark Levitan, mm-hmm. who's an engineer, wind engineer. Yeah. So I just cold called him. I mean, right out of the blue. And I'm sure if it was anybody other than Mark, okay. it would not have succeeded the way it is. Uh, he's been fantastic through these years, and uh, so he agreed to join. Um, in fact, this uh, what we were doing is we're right in his wheelhouse, and so it seemed to be a natural thing. And also, this was—I think—the timing was right after Joplin, mm-hmm. yeah,
1: 2011. Mm-hmm. So they
2: were leading. He was, co- yeah, he, they were leading a technical investigation of Joplin. There was—it uh, um, was after the 2011 outbreaks, mm-hmm. of course, which you know was a huge watershed year for for violent tornadoes. That you know, exact. You know, I mean, it was a very costly year. And so, with those impacts in mind, that. Um, came in and that's when our first contacts occurred um, mm-hmm. and we both uh, we had a, a follow-up meeting so we decided hey okay you're not the standards organization i thought you were but there's another one that mark mentioned a s e e and that's when uh you know we started to work with the stakeholders group to develop you know a, a sort of a charter but also a proposal mm-hmm. To bring forth to ASCE, and that timing it took some time, right? Mm-hmm, so it, right. it was a couple of years, almost a couple of years. So it was 2014. Um, by the time we made a formal proposal to ASCE, and unbelievably, they actually accepted it.
1: Wow, that's great! Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So at that point, you're kind of thinking, okay. We found someone who owns this, you know, now we can really try and make some progress forward. And, you know, going back to something that you've mentioned about um, different methods of observing uh, tornadoes and, and winds, you know, we've. We've seen that here and in some of the presentations I have been um, shown here at uh, SLS, but, um, you know, my former career in in broadcast meteorology, we've, we've covered all these events. We've seen like the impact they have, but, you know, looking at these damage surveys and kind of waiting to see what that rating is going to be. That's very newsworthy. Obviously, everybody wants to hear what, what that is. Um, but I did remember some controversy back in, you know, you mentioned the, the Joplin tornado, which obviously that was an EF5. We yes. had the, the um, devastating year um, from April in 2011, that same year. Um, but going back into like the El Reno tornado, that was one of these situations where the EF scale, that was our method mm-hmm. for rating tornadoes there. Um, yes. but then all of a sudden we've got these radar observations and we're like, yeah, but we've <laughs> got this other thing that we, but, you know, but, but we're like but this push and pull, right? Where mm-hmm. like, we've got this other thing that we, that can tell us more information about the wind speeds and yes. actually give us a true measurement. Why can't we use that? Well, that's, that's not part of the standard, right? It's not the way things are done. So kind of looping that in and now having this um, ASEE trying to help develop the standard, hopefully we can try and integrate these kinds of things moving forward.
2: And that's the idea. Um, mm-hmm. Right. So 2013 was the El Reno tornado. Mm-hmm. And uh, there, was, uh, there were two university teams with mobile radars, Doppler radars. Mm-hmm. And uh, they collected wind speed information, both of them. Got wind speeds over 300 miles per hour, wow. um, and it's also the widest tornado in U.S. history. Yeah. And uh, when you think about all these things, I mean, just the you know this monster tornado, this you know these winds that seem to fit with the tornado. And so the, the Weather Service just took those winds and then assigned an EF5 rating, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to El Reno, which kind of made sense. We just had an EF5, by the way, with a more tornado, literally just two weeks before. Right. Um, you know, you can imagine the tension that you know that was occurring in the metro area at the time. Um, the El Reno tornado was just a standout in terms of uh, you know societal impacts, in terms of uh, the dread factor. I think with that. Mm-hmm. So naturally, EF5 seemed to apply. Um, well, there was a Weather Service service uh, assessment that occurred afterwards. So this is a process that occurs after major events mm-hmm. to evaluate warning services and other weather service um, activities and so the review came back saying wait a minute is that you know 300 mile per hour wind from damage
0: mm-hmm. because
2: that's how all other tornadoes are rated i mean anything that's doesn't have a radar you know which is 99 percent of all tornadoes right. you know you got to rate them based on damage and that's in the directives and, So they had to walk it back. They had to walk it back down to EF3. That was the strongest damage that was recorded in, in El Reno. Um, so because of that, um, yeah, that's not exactly the greatest thing. You know, nobody likes to walk back a tornado. There was some controversy about that. You know, it's like, how dare you? Right. Um, you know, that was my, that was my biggest tornado. You know, (laughs) it deserves all it can get. Right. Um, needless to say, I think. Uh, that's the controversy that came out. And so it factored heavily in our standards, uh, development at the beginning. We already have been thinking about radar. It's not the first time that mobile radar has been used to rate a tornado. And, uh, but it was the last time it was used. So, (laughs) yeah. So, uh, the weather service, uh, you know, the, the, the service assessment team was, was welcoming of the idea. It would be great to include all these. But, you know, how do we do it?
1: Um, right. There's, there's got to be, again, going back to the standard, yeah. the, the, the set way of doing things. And I think that's, mm-hmm. that's so important going forward for historical context and, and making sure that everything is framed properly. Because you, you can't compare apples to pears, which a, a few people have, have said before, right? You're yes. trying to compare apples to apples on the same scale.
2: It's true. Because, you know, radar sampling wins. They're sampling it above the ground. Um, you know, they're, they have their own strategy. I mean, you send out a pulse It comes back with an instantaneous wind value um, at a specific time and place. And, uh, you know, with damage, it's the integrated sum effects Mm -hmm. of the passage of the entire event. And then you have to kind of unravel what happened during that course of time. So there are different. Those are apples and oranges. But, you know, each wind speed estimate is valuable in its own right. Uh, As long as the user is caught, is, is, at least cognizant of the pluses and minuses, the attributes of each one.
1: Right. You understand what it can and can't say. Mm
2: -hmm. Right. So I think after that, you know, it was understandable and, but we were already down this path. Uh, So a year after that 2013, uh, there was a town hall meeting that uh, the the weather service headquarters um, organized, you know, where we had all the players. uh, So I was there along with the, Um, others in in Weather Service and also in the community at large, uh, a couple of engineers. And we talked about, you know, the pluses and minuses and and we were starting down that path. But that was when, you know, the the final uh, outcome of that meeting was to say, hey, what do we want to do? And, you know, I think the idea was, yes, we do need to have a committee. We need to have a more formal process. So we were kind of thinking that way. And it was nice to have the Weather Service endorse that, you know, at that time. So that was good, um, and then there was the there was one other uh, develop uh, process after uh, that was from the Joplin that also had a recommendation. We need a committee. Okay, mm-hmm. we need to do something to improve the, uh, the characterization of these tornado events. Um, and so that was the Joplin report. Mm. That, uh,
1: and, and I was yeah. going to ask, when you mentioned the Joplin report, what was the significance of that? What was it? I mean, we, we know that that was one of the single deadliest tornadoes in, in U.S. history. And, yes. and we, we've all seen the images of devastation in Joplin. So what was it exactly about that recommendation that, what was it that they, I guess, that they observed that caused them to make that specific recommendation that they felt was inadequate?
2: Yeah, it was interesting. Before? And it wasn't just the uh, Joplin report but uh, that was uh, developed by NIST, but also FEMA. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do a uh, like a mitigation assessment team study, MAT report, I'll call it. Uh, likewise, so they both, you know, said our inconsistencies in how wind speeds are assigned to similar damage indicators. And boy, wouldn't it be nice to have this damage indicator for churches? Or, you know, uh, you know, we're we're missing uh, various components here, and we need to do something about improving the ES scale. And we don't know who it is, so. You know, I you know, the Joplin report suggested a committee of some sort, you know, that would represent the stakeholders that need to use the EF scale.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so, and we've talked about the EF scale a lot, but I, I guess some of the people that aren't actually in it and applying it might not know how it's structured. So, really yeah. quickly, let's talk that's about right. let's talk about that because that's just something physically we're we're working on improving the EF scale. That's something that our next guest team is going to be that's talking right. about. Um, but just kind of tell outline our viewers how how does that process work? And um, we've got these degrees of damage and damage indicators. Yeah, that's a
2: and that's a good question because uh, I, I did actually say damage indicators, so we oh, yeah. should explain <laughs> this. Um, so what we have uh, is a scale that converts, let's say, a, you know, wind speeds to a certain categorical rating, zero through five. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a, since it's a damage scale, we have to associate levels or degrees of damage, and we call it DOD for mm-hmm, short. Right. And we associate those with wind speeds that are most likely to be responsible for producing that. And and we have different damage indicators. Um, We have 28 in the EF scale right now. Uh, They range from houses. So a typical one or two story house, the most common one that's used. So that house would have different degrees of damage. Um, It may start off with maybe there's a gutter or a shingle loose. And then, oh, the next uh, level up might be, you know, part of the roof, uh, you know, Maybe up to, you know, a quarter of the roof or something like that is is torn off down to the decking or there's a broken window, Um, a door may have failed Um, and then it ascends up to the next level, which may include the removal of a large portion of of a roof and then, you know, oh maybe a wall or more have collapsed and so this all goes all the way up until the total destruction of, of a house. And, and so each one of those has a wind speed range. Um, we have a sliding scale for that wind speed range for each degree of damage because houses are constructed to different levels of resistance. Right. So, you know, some houses, unfortunately, are on the low end. And so mm-hmm. we lower the wind speed. And we have a typical house, uh, you know, most houses would fall into the Uh, what we expect for this wind speed range for this level of damage or somebody might have built a little extra Mm -hmm. or perhaps it's a new house in florida or along the gulf coast where uh, the codes are a little bit better Mm -hmm. or the city of moore oklahoma actually any house built sooner than uh, more recently than 2014 Mm -hmm. Um, so we do this across the range of damage indicators Uh, we have everything we got uh auto showrooms to garage station, you know, like gas station canopies, uh, all the way up to warehouses and trees, mm-hmm. um, poles, towers. Uh, yeah, just right. about Be- everything.
1: Because tornadoes don't always just... You know, hit home, you know, they, they hit trees, they hit all kinds of other things and they yeah. happen in rural areas and in suburban, in urban areas, suburban areas. Yes. So, um, there's a lot of different things. So that makes sense when people are thinking damage you, you, 28 damage indicators. 28 well, damage
2: indicators. Yeah. Yes. And
1: there and there are going to yeah. be more teaser. Um, there's going to be more in the new, um, update. that's going to be, uh, yeah, we're going
2: to add a, a couple more. We're actually, we're combining a couple. Uh-huh. Okay. So for manufactured homes, we use, well, at least currently right now we have, mm-hmm a single wide and a double wide. So we're going to merge those two schools. For example, we're going to merge the, um, actually we're going to shift those around a little bit right now. It's an elementary versus high school. Uh, we're going to shift that to a single story versus double story. Uh, we have a couple new ones. We're going to have new ones. Uh, heritage church. Uh, we have center pivot irrigators. We will have, um, Oh, we're gonna have wind turbines because they're ah, yes. sprouting up all over the place. So. Yes,
1: especially in the plains where yeah. severe weather they're is just, is prominent. Um I've definitely driven if you've driven through Texas at any point, you see these massive wind turbines and when you see them yes. overturned, you're like, wow, what
2: that's a big deal. That? Yeah, yeah and and I'll we tell need you to one, know how. That's right. They are strong. They yes. are it takes a lot to to take mm-hmm. one out. Mm-hmm. So we have that and, and cell phone towers, they're out in the plane. I mean, we have a lot of things that are that are available where there's not much population density. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully that will tend to fill in the gaps. So this is all proposed. Uh, we're still finally going through the balloting stages of the last few damage indicators, and we'll get those mm-hmm. out there. Um, the trees are a big thing. right? Mm-hmm. All right. Previously and, and what they're using now, there's really not much science behind mm-hmm. them. Um, softwood versus hardwood, that's the way it is now. Yeah. Well, as it turns out, some of those uh, hardwoods that they claim are hardwoods are not actually hard (laughs) and vice versa with the softwoods. And it turns out actually, no, we shouldn't split those apart like that. Um, We should be splitting them by tree size because contrary to what people may think, the bigger the tree is, the more easily it falls.
1: Mm -hmm. Right. It doesn't
2: take as much wind as a young mature or you know, a tree that somebody planted just a few years ago that's just got established. Um, those can just bend to the ground yeah. and snap right back up. I mean, it, they're tough.
1: Yes, they yeah, okay. are. very hardy. So, uh, so yeah, so, so, and you're right. I mean, there, there are a lot of things that we have to incorporate. Right. And so I know that you guys are going to be very busy and already have been and, and will be in the next several years. But, yes. um, so really quickly before, before we, we leave you and, and we, um, join with Tanya, um, how many subcommittees? I know we've got the parent committee, right. but we also have some subcommittees because, as you mentioned, there's a lot of different things that we're looking at. So, how many different groups do we have working?
2: Yeah, we have uh, several subcommittees. I'm going to name them, okay? Because otherwise, I might get the counting wrong. So let's get, go yeah. ahead and start <laughs> I'll, off. With, I'll, tip,
1: I'll put my checklist away. So.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Um, so we have the uh, we have the uh, two measurement. So this is ways to measure actual winds during real time uh, during the event. So that's radar and anemometry or what we call in situ Mm -hmm. because we're measuring something right there in place. Um, So we have those. Then we have uh, several uh, after the fact kind of thing, like looking at the residual left behind the event. All right. So the EF scale is one commit. uh, That is one subcommittee involved with the EF scale. Uh, Tanya leads that one. She's the chair of that. Mm -hmm. And so that's a method. We call it a method because it is a method to derive damage or let's say derive wind speeds from damage and uh, that's the key thing. Mm-hmm. Um, now we also have tree fall pattern. Mm-hmm. So tornadoes leave behind patterns of tree fall and the, tr- the shape and pattern of that tree fall is related to the wind speed. We can actually extract out the wind speed but not only that but we can also extract out what the wind might have been like at any one point in time as the tornado traverses across the terrain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was what was done for the Joplin tornado. And so they made a wind speed map. Mm -hmm. So that's really important. And uh, we also have uh, forensics. Mm -hmm. So let's say you have a structure and and a good one here, a pump jack. Oh, yes.
1: Yes. Mm -hmm.
2: All right. So we have a pump jack or a drilling platform or something like that. Well, we don't have a damage indicator for that. Yeah. But with the forensics uh, committee, they're developing a chapter to be able to codify how you Go through the process of deriving a wind speed based on the structure, the materials, mm-hmm. and then uh, and then calculate the loading on that building. Mm-hmm. Wind engineers do this all the time right. uh, for the other sides, like determining how what they have to build to withstand a wind. We flip the equation around and say, mm-hmm. well, given a building's already uh, current damage level and the way it was constructed, what is the wind that can do that? Right. Yeah. Uh, so we have that, and then the remote sensing is another one. Which is basically okay this is passive remote sensing is like satellite or it could be you know somebody does have a like a scanning lidar or mm-hmm. uh, an aerial photo from a drone or a plane um, and then use that to help the other um, uh, methods to establish wind speed right. so, yeah.
1: so yeah so i mean to your point it's all about all these different supporting networks and all these different things coming together right. to hopefully make a, a better product in the future, so yeah. So that's yeah. the
2: idea. So awesome. yes, one tornado could have several of these at play. We could yeah. have several different wind speed estimates. Yeah.
1: Well, Jim, this has been a really enlightening discussion with you. And I thank you so much for taking the time to kind of lay this out and, and share this story with our, our viewers and our listeners. Yeah, um and absolutely. so um so we hope to have you back again sometime soon when hopefully we, we get this this whole thing wrapped up and um but yeah we'll we'll have you back again soon. So please come join us anytime.
2: Absolutely. When we're done with this, I'll be popping that champagne bottle. <laughs> since, uh, we'll deserve it. Yes,
1: yeah. you will very much deserve it. So yeah. well thank you so much for joining us today and tuning here in just a few minutes and we'll bring in Tanya Brown to Yamako. Right.
2: Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to the Disaster Discussions podcast, an IBHS production. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app, or watch the podcast on our website at ibhs.org/slash Disaster Discussions podcast and the Insurance Institute for Business and Home Safety YouTube channel. Connect with us on our social media pages on Twitter at Disaster Safety. Facebook at facebook.com slash disaster safety and on Instagram at IBHS underscore org. For more great content from IBHS, including ongoing research efforts happening in our facility, episodes of our podcast and more, visit IBHS.org.